Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I walked outside early this morning and said, drum roll, please. And boy, right on cue, a woodpecker hammered on a <laughs> resident branch. So it was it was pretty cool. If you can get a little bit of, uh, it, it leaves you with a good feeling when you get a drum roll right first thing in the morning. I listened to you uh, visiting with us a little bit about the locust. Yeah, there was a little uh, story from the Farmer's Almanac about locusts, some people confusing locusts with cicadas and they're not the same of course that's that's right locusts sort of like a grasshopper cicadas are the ones we have here and the question uh, the writer to the almanac was if seven year or 13 year we get annual or dog day uh, scissor grinder prairie cicadas here we do not get those uh, seven year or 13 years so we don't it seems like we have a lot but we don't get like what they have in those uh, years when those uh, all come out of the ground and I have been in those locations and it can be just oh so loud but they mentioned the, the guy might remember the Rocky Mountain locusts uh, Gosh, you know, in 1875, somebody had called the other day, so uh, that's why I have these numbers kind of still in my mind, and asked about locusts. And my dad called them locusts, too, and uh, this the caller was referring to cicada. The Rocky Mountain locusts in 1875, they covered 198,000 square miles. Uh, mm-hmm. which would be bigger than California. Yikes. But they went extinct in 1902, and the last ones were seen in Canada. So if this guy in Kentucky remembers seeing uh, the, the Rocky Mountain locust, as suggested there, boy, he's got a really good memory. <laughs> 1902, they've been gone since then. So. Well, and, uh, it doesn't we, say what year that the almanac, you know, wrote, you know how the almanac sometimes writes older things, so who knows, maybe it was in yep. a previous almanac, I guess. <laughs> it must have been because yeah. uh, they've and and nobody wants them back. Uh, they're one mm. of those things that nobody really has come up with. I guess they'd be food for some things, but nobody really wants a Rocky Mountain uh, locust. And there's all kinds of stories about Rocky Mountain locusts, about their destructive capabilities that they just wiped out uh, farmers. And farmers fought them with fire and brooms and shovels and everything they possibly could uh, to no avail. So it's, uh, it's quite a story with those. I've... I've been watching yellow-bellied sapsuckers, and they maniacally machine gun sap wells into trees. They put a line around the tree, and then they drink the sap. And the work of those industrious birds has been followed closely by yellow-rumped warblers, diminutive ruby-crowned kinglets, and both downy and hairy woodpeckers who gladly plunder the avian soda fountains. And those warblers, the yellow rump warblers, I'm I'm looking at one right now out the window here. They're our first warbler generally that comes back, and they're called butterbutts because of the yellow rumps. And they're proficient at fly catching, and they snap prey right out of the air. They're just wonderful little guys. Uh, This morning when I was out for a walk, fox sparrows sang a song that made me want to move north with them. I just said, hey, wait up, guys, wait up. I'm the baby of the family. So I was used to saying, hey, wait up, wait up. And I saw a silver hawk with a white rump patch 
and it flew low over the ground. And it was a male northern harrier, once called a marsh hawk. And I'm just always so happy to see them. They are just exquisite looking as they soar low over the ground looking for prey. And I, I read that chipmunks have cheek pouches that, when filled, are three times bigger than their head. Oh, my. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not sh- I watched one out here, and there was a spill. Uh, birds fought over a feeder, and they caused a spill of some sunflower seeds. So this little guy, he's just out there. He's hoovering them all up, just vacuuming them all up, filling both cheek pouches. <laughs> And I took a picture of it, and I studied that photo. I I don't know that it's three times bigger than his head, but it certainly looked larger than the rest of his head, which would be quite quite an accomplishment. You know, try filling your cheeks full of sunflower seeds and see if you can get it to the size of the rest of your head. But they're amazing little guys. Al, there was a time when there was a competition to see how many marshmallows you could fit in your mouth. And I want to say I put something like 18 and my mouth was, oh, oh, I had so many sores in my mouth after that, but I won and I, that, but I, it wasn't worth it. Trust me. So, you know, if they're filling three times, my, my marshmallows must've been about that too. So not a good idea. I played baseball and softball. And um, when I first started playing for older guys, most of them chewed tobacco. Yeah. So they had these huge wads in there, and one of my teammates would chew bubble gum and then wrap it around the tobacco to kind of keep oh. it in place. And he <laughs> slid into second base, and he swallowed it oh. and got violently ill. Mm. But most of us, we tried it and thought, man, this is kind of nasty stuff. So we ended up chewing sunflower seeds like a lot of the <laughs> baseball players do. And we'd put too much in there. And I understand your your cheeks would get sore yeah. from all those things in there and you of course then you had to spit all the time which was is just overly attractive anyway but i yeah so i couldn't imagine doing it with marshmallows i i'm not a a huge marshmallow guy unless they're on rice crispy bars oh i like rice crispy bars and i had a a roommate in college oh boy you all remember back to college days where you would eat anything that couldn't get away from you he we made chili one uh, actually for breakfast, I believe, because that's what we had available. And he threw some of those nasty little uh, colored marshmallows on top of the chili and ate it. And uh, told us all it was really good, but we refused to eat it because even as college students, we did have standards. They might have been very low, but we had <laughs> some anyway. I'm uh, seeing some wood ducks checking out tree cavities in our backyard here, and the female makes a loud, oh, I can't do it, weak, weak, uh, when disturbed and taking flight. And the male has a thin, rising and falling zeet whistle, so they uh, make very distinctive, different sounds. There's turkey vultures wobbling overhead as I speak. Uh, Charles Darwin saw a vulture from the deck of the Beagle in 1835 and called it a disgusting bird whose bald head was formed to wallow in putridity. Um, You know, and that was pretty harsh, I think. I think they're beautiful birds. Uh, If a turkey vulture perceives a threat, it may play dead. 
or it can project offensive-smelling vomit as a defense. And I've often told the story of getting too close to young uh, turkey vultures, and they they threw up everything they'd ever eaten at me, and it and it worked. Uh, vultures uh, cannot really eat and run. They can't carry bits of food other than what they could get in their bill. Uh, their feet are useless for carrying freight. And in an ancient practice of Tibetan sky burial, a human corpse is placed on a mountaintop to be eaten by birds of prey, most commonly vultures. And this tradition is a sustainable burial method symbolizing the impermanence of life for Buddhists. So they, uh, uh, they're they very important over there, uh, vultures. And the Buddhists aren't the only one. There's several other ones that also do this, too. Uh, I, a chipmunk ran up the downspout as I was walking, which is a great place to hide, but then as soon as it gets up there, <laughs> then it cheeps. It, I'm, it's probably saying there's nobody up here but us chickens, but I thought, man, if you're going to go all that problem to hide, just shut up. It'll be up there. I saw a muskrat just kind of wandering around looking for water, I imagine. I... And it made me think of river otters for some reason. Uh, I guess they share a little bit of the habitat. And I see river otters infrequently. They certainly are here. It's just we don't see them all the time. The otters have fur that's four times as dense as a muskrat's. And they're able to stay underwater for eight minutes. A muskrat can go under eight minutes. It's just incredible. As a boy, we used to have hold-your-breath contests. Just to see, I don't remember anybody ever turning blue in the face, and we were never able to come close to eight minutes. Uh, Amy Colon said, Hi, Al, I saw a pair of eastern bluebirds in the upper Carlton Arboretum. First bluebirds of the year for me, so that'd be in Northfield. Uh, Artie Habermunk and Albert Lee called, and she is, uh, she calls just because. Oh, she's uh, really isolated all by herself, and she says, I just need somebody to talk to once in a while. She has a pair of cardinals coming to her feeder, and she's been watching fishing bald eagles from her window. So she says, this is really neat. Uh, Dave Anderson, also of Albert Lee, saw a uh, common loons on Fountain Lake, and Gail and I also saw that. Uh, Gail took me along to ride shotgun on her grocery uh, expedition. Uh, she let me out at a trail where there was nobody, so I went for a nice long walk, but did not go in the grocery store with her, because, uh, I don't know. It, it's a good idea just one at a time, I guess, going in there, and what would I do? Just whine about getting something. Uh, John Ellis said, uh, had a robin in a platform feeder eating peanuts and sunflower seeds. I saw a robin being eaten by a red-tailed hawk. I've never seen a red-tailed oh. hawk with a bird before. Yeah, it's uh, amazing that they could catch a robin, I guess. Uh, maybe a robin be one of the easier ones from to catch robins and morning doves. I have seen them with a bird before, but it's always been a, um, a pheasant, uh, uh, that kind of larger bird. Uh, Ray Faber. Ray is from uh, Winona. He said, I saw my first of the year Harrier fly by my living room window. 
a nice break from the joy of online teaching, he said sarcastically. <laughs> and he said sarcastically were Ray's words. So he's not enjoying teaching from home as much as in the classroom, apparently. Uh, Kyle Tepol. Oh, man, Kyle. I'm sure I've got T-E-P-O-E-L, uh, two words. He said, I've been contending with a turkey constantly poking its head into my door. <laughs> I've had robins, chickadees, and other smaller birds do this on windows, car doors, etc., but never a turkey. <laughs> I keep chasing it off, and it keeps coming back. Anyone else ever have aggressive turkeys <laughs> banging their heads against windows or doors? Uh, Kyle, I... I've not heard from her for a couple years, but a lady would call. She lived over by Houston, Minnesota, and she had a lower-level kind of basement with a garage and a big, big window there. And she had a turkey fighting against that window for quite a while. A friend called the other day that has a pheasant fighting against a window. Uh, Cindy Drill of North Mankato saw her first yellow rump warbler in a magnolia tree. Well, I think there should be a song, Cindy, about that, a yellow rump warbler in a magnolia tree. Uh, Bobby Forster of rural Hollandale said, Al, we returned from our time in Florida with all the current insanity and scariness, and we saw this horn grebe on Geneva Lake and wondered if as a common visitor to Minnesota, enjoy your day. We're one day closer to freedom in springtime. Uh, Bobby, it's a, oh, it's a beautiful, thanks for sending that photo. I think grebes are just such incredibly beautiful birds. It is a common migrant to uh, our area. Is it commonly seen? No. There's a big, uh, there can be a big separation. Now we talk about common grackles. They're a common uh, bird of this area, but they're commonly seen. We have other ones that are common. And common covers such a huge variance in birds. So it's just one of those lovely birds. I'm so glad you saw it and sent me a wonderful photo. Uh, Don Anderson of Albert Lee said he has a dozen, had a dozen cardinals every day this winter in his yard. But now he has a robin fighting with a window. And he said it just goes on all day. And I, I told Don the best thing to do, and this would be a good time to do it because you don't have people coming over the house to go, what are you doing there? Uh, you can cover the outside of the window with cardboard or plastic cling or soap or hang down ribbons, whatever you want to do to cover that outside. I did tell Don that it will move to another window because if they're looking for a fight, they're very uh, possibly going to find another window. But the robin's just fighting with its image, and it doesn't know that that's not another robin in its territory, and it's going to keep trying to to chase that stubborn robin away. So it's uh, good luck is all I can say, Don. I've I've been there. Somebody asked, how many broods does a morning dove have each year? Uh, two or three in Minnesota, and as many as five or six probably in southern states. Uh, the person that called and said they had a pheasant fighting with the window of their house said, are predators the main reason I don't see as many pheasants as I once did, although I would happily not see this one pheasant? Yeah, predators don't eat habitat. Uh, 
boy, we, we need to remember that sometimes. We blame everything, but predators don't eat habitat. It's loss of habitat is mm-hmm. the main problem. And then, if that's not enough, then uh, Minnesota weather frequently <laughs> piles on. When something's down, weather just jumps on them. Al, you mentioned uh, the morning dove. Now, I you know see them occasionally around the pond, things like that. Uh, we were going for a walk the other night and I noticed them a couple of them on a telephone wire I usually don't see them roosting on a telephone wire I thought that was odd is that is that odd for them because I don't know I always see them on you know roofs or something not telephone wires yeah and I just probably because I live out in the sticks so uh, I see them on the wires a lot here because that's it's a it's available to them, and they like to feed on roadsides. Uh, they can find a lot of seeds and things there. Okay. And uh, they look, if you don't take a good look at them sometimes, kestrels and morning doves look a lot alike when they're on the, a line, and uh, they're more likely to be morning doves because there's many, many more morning doves. But we have a pair of kestrels here, and every day I hear them going, keely, 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 as they fly over the yard. No, these and, more like um, went coo, coo, kind of the, the coo, coo, like yep, the morning the dove. hula hoop. Yeah, that. Yep. Yeah. And they like getting up there and singing. The male likes to call from up there because I'm sure he gets really good uh, coverage. That sound travels a long way, so he likes being up there. A uh, kind of in the window vein, a listener said, "Would putting the driver's license photo of my husband on the window discourage a cardinal from attacking its image?" <laughs> yeah, it, it, I'm sh- it might slow the shadow boxing of the bird fighting with what it considers a dastardly would-be usurper if you put it on the outside. And I, I won't comment anything about your husband's photo there, but thanks. Uh, Why do turkey vultures have bald heads? Well, featherless heads are easy to keep clean, so vultures tuck their heads inside carcasses to feed, and this adaptation keeps heads cleaner. But also, the bare skin may play a role in thermal regulation, so it uh, probably keeps the vulture a little cooler on hot days. The late Charlie Ellis had a farm in Alberta, and I've been to that farm. He had uh, many bluebird nest boxes. And Charlie would go outside and he'd hold white feathers in his hand, and tree swallows would fly down and snatch them out of his hand. Uh, Tree swallows build cup nests of dried vegetation gathered and carried to the nest, mostly by the females. Both mates bring feathers, and preferably white, to line an arch over the cup. So if you have bluebird boxes, there's a good chance you've had uh, you've had tree swallows nesting in there, and they are really beautiful. My wife asked a great question. She, it, all, all her questions are great. I'm not saying this one is the only great one. <laughs> uh, why do, what do Canada geese eat when they first return in the spring? Because they're back before there's much of anything. Well, they will eat rhizomes, roots, uh, shoots, stems, seeds, algae, grass, wheat, millet, corn, any kind of submerged vegetation. So they they do all right. They can find all kinds of of food. A listener said, enjoy KMSU. Well, I do too. Uh, how, How can I tell 
if rabbits or deer have eaten my plants. Uh, that'd be this time of year when everything's coming out. I'm sure she's out looking mm-hmm. saying, oh, my gosh, look at me. Something's eating this. Rabbits reach only as high as they can stand plus the height of the snow. So typical damage by a rabbit is, oh, I'd say three feet high maybe. Deer browse as high as six feet high. And deer, uh, deer when they, they tear plants, so they leave a rough or ragged edge where a neatly clipped plant is a telltale sign of rabbit feeding. And it seems like their cuts are often angled at oh, 45 degrees or so. And again, these are uh, general statements, but they certainly, uh, they both uh, make it through winter by eating our stuff. Uh, Bill Tadigan is the director of the Nicholson Audubon Center, I think Ian Nicholson Audubon Center at the Rose Sanctuary near Gibbon, Minden, and Kearney, Nebraska. And that area, they have blinds to go look at sandhill cranes, and there have been 360 whooping cranes sighted at Rose since it began operation in 1974. A whooping crane is white, it's five feet tall, has a seven and a half foot wingspan. Sandhill crane is gray. It's four foot tall. Again, whooping crane five. The sandhill crane has a six and a half foot wingspan. Uh, the whooping crane seven and a half. But each year, Bill gets reports of whooping cranes that turn out to be American white pelicans with nine foot wingspans. Hmm. And Bill calls those reported, reported birds whooping pelicans. American white pelicans have traditionally migrated through Nebraska and were seen by Lewis and Clark during the Corps of Discovery's epic adventure. As a matter of fact, in August of 1804, the expedition found a flock of several hundred white pelicans resting on a sandbar about two miles north of the mouth of the Little Sioux River, it'd be in the present day Burt and Thurston County, Nebraska, and Monona County, Iowa. And they shot a pelican. Captain Meriwether Lewis shot it, and then he measured it, and he said its throat pouch was determined to have held five gallons of water. So they were uh, doing all kinds of experiments. Uh, I'm sure the pelican wasn't real excited about that experience, but uh, you got a nice note from John. I did. Uh, from New Ulm. Yeah, I did. And John sent me a postcard, and he, he said he's taken a couple weeks off um, when he, his dad was in the hospital in the care center, and then he, he says, and then another two weeks because of the temporary work shutdown, because he works at the theater in New Ulm. And he said, so he's been busy and gone a lot, which is why we haven't heard from him. He says, I do miss my contact with, with us here at KMSU. He says, dad's okay, maybe because of all my help lately. And I would say probably that's why his dad's okay. And he says his sister Tammy is pretty okay with her cancer stuff. He says, I get worn out helping day and night, but very glad he's not in the care center. And, you know, being a caretaker is a lot of work. It is. It is indeed. And uh, it's good of you to do that, John. And, boy, I I feel for all you guys at theaters and things like that. It's just, uh, you know, we'd all happily pay that $15 for a bank, a little box of milk duds, just to be able to get into some of those things again. So, yeah, it's... um, my mother-in-law 
lives in uh, New Richland, and of course we can't see her, so my wife goes up there and they, you know, talks to her through the window, mm. and uh, it's it's just kind of they've done some. Uh, oh, I don't know if it's FaceTiming or Skype or one of those things, but you know, I, I, my mother-in-law is ninety-two, and there's a comfort level with stuff yes. like that that isn't always there. They they just, you know, I think they're happy, but they'd rather see. Uh, in person. Well, and it's, uh, I think there's a hearing thing, too. We did a Zoom meeting last night with our master gardeners, and some of them are in their 80s, and, and it was their first time doing the, the Zoom thing. And sometimes it is a little difficult to, to understand, sometimes over the, I don't know, the electronics or whatever you call that. So I get that, too. And so a couple of our master gardeners, I don't know if you know our friend Harvey Hess, he was on there for the first time, and our friend Barb Lamson were on there. And, and you know, it works, but it, it's a, certainly a change. Yeah, I've been doing more Zoom uh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many board meetings I've had uh, since uh, all this. and um, Man, it makes us all look really attractive, too. <laughs> I think Zoom for the most part. I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> no, you're looking at it. Who is that? Who's nose hair? hair? You're somebody. looking up somebody's nose hairs or, you know, it just yeah. depends on the angle. And, and so some oh. you, you don't want to say like, hey, you know, this is, I'm looking up your nose. Could you please uh, move this or something? But yeah. I'm a local elected official of, of great import, and we've been doing our um, teleconference. Nobody seems real excited about uh, doing a video conference thing. So it works pretty good. We get everything out to everybody, you know, days before, so, boy, they can look over everything. So actually the meetings go a lot faster than the in-person ones. I, I don't think they're quite as in a effective meeting but as far as efficiency yeah they it are. really goes quick because you get everybody everybody gets all that stuff really early and they read it all and boy if there's a problem or they have a question you hear right away and it so i'm just happy the the thing is i still have to go into town to post all that stuff oh you even do though nobody's yeah where even do you post nobody's it? gonna read uh, we posted at the the bank, which is oh. closed, of course. Okay. And we uh, we post the, we posted at the city hall where we meet, and we posted at the post office, and then we posted at the uh, convenience store. We used to post it at the cafe, but it's closed, so oh. we can't post it there. So. You know, down to convenience store, I put it in that pile of things on the bulletin board with 900 other ones, people uh, <laughs> wanting to do garden tilling or dogs for sale and sure. all these kind of things. So whether anybody reads it, it was back in the corner where the Loafers Club meets every day, so uh, they would uh, typically read all that stuff but i don't you know i don't know how much meeting goes on in there anymore because there's no way you can be six foot from anybody in those small places so so we still post them but uh because that's state but maybe law. nobody we reads them is the problem al hey i wanted to add that um our friend john shared a couple other things i wanted to make sure to talk about on the air he talked about seeing a couple herons and walking and flying by his dad's house and he saw two deer in his backyard but he said days later a uh, young one was run over on the street a few blocks away. He said the same thing happened last fall or spring. He saw two deer on dad's yard. Then days later, uh, he saw one and he put hit by car question mark on the side of the street, not too far away. Well, that, I mean, the deer are out now, aren't they rutting or what do they call that when they're out in the spring doing whatever they do to make, see a mate? 
Um, they're just uh, out. Uh, you know, it won't be long before we'll be seeing the young ones. We'll be seeing oh. fawns. Okay. So uh, then it, uh, you know, it'll be a while before they'll be out running around on our roads, the young ones. So that's a good part. They are just so cute, you know. And I tell everybody that I've seen uh, Bambi, so I just, uh, I love, I think of Bambi every time I see a young one. But it's uh, fawning time is May. Uh, is when I typically think of that happening. So, and it'll go till into June, and it, depending on where you are in Minnesota and everything, it might vary slightly. But May and June is when we see the young ones, and for like the first six weeks of their life, approximately, they just they lie still on the ground, and uh, that's their life is just trying to be. Oh. Uh, be where nothing can see them or hear them or smell them or anything else. You know, I think you've talked about this before, about when you find a stray fawn or something, um, that you sh- a lot of times you think maybe it's been abandoned or something, but that isn't always the case. So I wanted to remind, maybe have people reminded about this, that if you see a stray fawn laying there, it might not be necessarily abandoned and how you should know if you should bother it or not. Yeah, 99% of the time... <clears throat> probably 99.9% of the time that fawn's all right. The mother's somewhere. There are those cases where you might see a mother and a fawn and you see the mother hit by a car or something. You know, in that case, that'd be a time to find some rehab organization that will come and help, perhaps. Because it's um, otherwise, you know, we try. We're... People are so good. They try to help and everything, but we're just, we're not very good at it. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, you need to find help. And you can certainly help the by getting the fawn off the road and those kind of things and finding help. And again, most fawns are born in May and into early June, and the gestation period is 196 to 213 days, so. And I thanks everybody for listening. Of course, the uh, cafe is still um, still shut up here, so the food chain is missing more than a few links. I life is good here. Uh, I time moves fast and time moves slow. I'm sure you're all finding that. Uh, days bunched together, you just say, "Wait a minute, what is today?" <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm learning to pace myself. Life is good. I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not living on sardines and lima beans and the clinic sends me helpful emails to remind me that if I sneeze into an elbow it should be my elbow and not (laughs) the elbow of a loved one or a stranger so that's the tip for today it's your elbow remember (laughs) and then think about that when uh, you're just walking down the street Uh, try to I don't know. It's not good to stifle a sneeze, is it? But uh, just kind of aim it right towards your elbow. Remember, Heartland is still well worth driving past. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always. Appreciate your company. And please, everybody be well. Yes, for sure. Hey, Al, it's always great to chat with you. Uh, Go out and watch a bird and have a great day. Thanks, Karen. All right, bye-bye. Our good friend Al Bad, it is 1033. Here is your history lesson for this morning.